That's what it sounded like last week at the headquarters of Toronto's Chicago 58 Food Products, as the owners, the Bernholtzes, threw a 100th anniversary barbecue for loyal customers and suppliers of their family's famous Jewish-style salamis and hot dogs and pastrami and brisket. The nondescript industrial park in Woodbridge, Ontario, where Chicago 58 is now located, is a far cry from the cheek-by-jowl row houses of Lippincott Street in Toronto's Kensington Market, where it all began over a century ago when the founder, David Bernholtz, opened the kosher deli plant at numbers 56 and 58. The story goes that after he learned the sausage-making trade in Europe, David Bernholtz escaped the German army and came to Toronto, where he borrowed $500 from a friend to open the business. At first, it was called Union Kosher. The name changed to Chicago 58, and there's a good story about that, which I'll tell you later. Today, though, the same old-world recipes are still used to make the famous Chicago 58 Wurst and all-beef lanky Frankie hot dogs, but it's all kosher style now, not kosher. And none of it is made in-house any longer. They contract it all out. But the grandchildren, and even a great-grandson who now operate the company, are looking to keep some of the old-school traditions while adapting to the new retail environment after COVID. I, I love being here. I miss... My uncles, uh, I wish I had had a chance to work with my Zeta. He passed away the year I was born. I miss my dad, his, his real boy, and my uncle, my uncle said as well. They would have loved to see this, to see this come to turn on. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Wednesday, October the 4th, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. <music> Chicago 58's Wurst and their other deli products are still a household name in Ontario, and the lobby in the new modern warehouse is a veritable museum from the family's meatpacking history, displaying artifacts like an original cash register and a meat cleaver, even permits from the Ministry of Agriculture and bank books from 1923, which is why the family is marking this year as its 100th anniversary. Teddy Bernholtz is a grandson of the founder. He's president, and he works alongside two of his cousins and a nephew, also named David Bernholtz, the fourth generation. I visited the plant for a tour. I spoke to Teddy and to his 96-year-old aunt. She's a daughter of the founder. She worked at Chicago 58 for decades. I'm very honored to be here in the the new new quote unquote new because it's like what 15 already years factory um, at Chicago 58 uh, the warehouse in Toronto with Teddy Bernholtz and with Yeti Starkman. It's great to meet you and congratulations on your anniversary, big anniversary. Although to be 100 percent accurate, 1923. Is not exactly a yeah. hundred years. Tell us the actual dates of you know when we think the factories and everything started. The story goes that in 1921, the original Shopsy's Deli, the Shopswitz family, bought an ice cream parlor and converted it to a deli. Shopsy's was always my, was my Zeta's for one of his first customers. 
we never could get the, the, the paperwork confirmed for 1921. But the oldest records that I'm holding onto are over there. I hold the canceled bank book from 19. The only one who would know the date that it started. We go with 19. Your father yeah. would. Your father. No, my father used to like to tell the story that it was. He didn't know the date. That it was 1921, but he couldn't verify the the data. Well, I mean, it's literally Delhi royalty I'm sitting here with from Toronto. Um, a lot of people might want to know about the 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 origins of the the name Chicago. 58. There, there are a lot of <laughs> stories that ran, that ran around that, that we really have used, but I believe the truest one. During the, the 20s and 30s, my, my grandfather did have uh, someone he used to do some business with and a friend that also trained with him in Poland who was in Chicago. In Toronto in 1920s, there was no real kosher stockyards. The Chicago 58 was originally Union Kosher Sausage Manufacturers. Wait, wait, so where did they get their meat from no, originally? They, all oh. meat came from, kosher meat came from Chicago. Chicago. Saying that your stuff was Chicago kosher was the same thing, like someone would say, like Montreal, a black kosher. Like a Montreal smoked meat. It doesn't mean any, but it was a, it gave it an air of, of confidence, confidence that people would trust that it came from a Chicago kosher. But what about the 58 number, so like Heinz 57, first, right? The first building that Mizeta started the factory in was 56 Lippincott. The second house he bought was 58 Lippincott. In the day, up and down, every, every Jewish family was eating. The salamis were hanging on everybody's doorknob at home, sitting, hanging. A Chicago 56 was a one-pound salami, and a Chicago 58 was a two-pound salami. And that's where the name, and you can see my mother is standing before the store that was called Union Kosher Deli. And Chicago oh. 58 came along after my late husband started to work with my father. And they were trying to get into the chain stores. The chain stores wouldn't come close to you. We, we went federally inspected, thinking that might help. But the word kosher, scared. they wouldn't touch us until, until they started. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? Is that anti-Semitism? In those days, that would have been yeah. referred to as anti-Semitism. And their kosher product, in, when we were kids growing up, forget it. There was no such my, thing. Yeah, my, the, my you had a small grocery room. store where you bought everything. Oh, with the power stores open, a big chain store, you could go in and buy Pesach ticket stuff. If you had to go to, you had to go to small groceries. Well, like it said, in those days, there was there there really was not there was nothing. My grandfather uh, David was the, one of the first importers of all the of the kosher food. We were the distributor of my Shevitz, the Zeta brought in several uh, kosher other meat lines for before anything. He was one of the first importers of the kosher food in Toronto. And Chicago 58 was distributing that stuff and we were distributing it to the grocery stores for years. There's a bit more of a story in there that, I, that I'm going to ignore, that, that I'm going to not, not go to why we'd, we'd stop selling that. Well, it was in the movie that you guys had made. You know, there's a famous story about, you know, whether you can make a living. And I love that story. And we'll, I'll play the clip of him saying that. You know, it was a toss-up of whether we stick with Union Coach or went to Chicago. My father, I never forget, asked me, you're going to have the problem of running this. Do you want to stay kosher and not make a living, or do you want to go regular and make a living? And I decided that we'd go regular. The, the kosher market, actually, it happened to be that when uh, the Congress was getting big, the Congress was getting bigger, 
and more control, and they, they sort of took some of the distribution away from, from us, actually. And Congress, you mean Canadian Jewish Congress? Yeah, COR. Yes, got it. <laughs> so that was, it was kind of like, we, got, we have other people to support, they're going to do this, and you're not doing it. Oh, so there was... In the old days, this is the burgeoning market of kosher start, we're talking 20s, 30s, 40s. They muscled in on your stuff. They muscled in, they said, no, we, this guy's going to handle this stuff. I want to ask you about the label. When you see the beautiful, it's casing, I guess you call it, right? Is it biodegradable or it's plastic? It, it is now, it's a biodegradable So... It's not kosher, but it has a mug and David on it. Tell me about the thinking about the design and why you can still keep it that way. There's a bit, there's of, a, there's a bit of a story to that. So, yeah, Again, okay. the same story that my, my aunt was telling you about um, how we were trying to break into the regular chain stores and grocery stores. But we never wanted to remove our heritage. We never wanted to remove that from the label. It was always the story went that at some point in time, actually, uh, there was a lot of heated meetings between my Zeta, my father, and uh, and COR. I think it was. I can imagine. COR. There, was. there was a lot of heated discussions. You know, because they were they were fighting with them. They said, "You can't use that label. You can't use it. People are gonna." And um, at some point in time, this... my father, by, by, when he was in one of these meetings, he said to them, "It's not a begin to be. It's uh, I, I, I took it from uh, from my son at home. He was making those paper boat hats, one upside down, one the other way. There you go." That was our Magen David. They didn't buy it, I'm sure. I'm true to form, and I've I've always, you know, I've been. As a matter of fact, for years we we've had different logos changed, and um, I, I was always committed to never removing that off, off the product. Not because I felt that I was she or my family that we felt that we were trying to tell someone that it was what it wasn't. This was just our heritage and our product. The warehouse is here, but the people might not realize you don't actually. Physically make no, that not here anymore. No, Tell no. me how so, it's made. So, uh, it's a bit of a story, but that evolved. We were we were ready to redo the factory downtown. The HACCP guidelines were coming into play. Then David Miller became the mayor of the city of Toronto and wasn't looking for industrial tax base. He wanted you know condos, homes, and he was taxing us to death. Um, the the oh. water taxes, this tax, we just couldn't really afford to redo, and they rescinded our our. Uh, permits to do the build. So we were very short. Another reason they decided not to go ahead with building a whole brand new plant was the, the price. And it was one way, the only way they could get rid of the union was to stop producing so themselves. Chicago. And the unions were one oh, hell of a... Yeah, very interesting story, although my, it is a great story. Because Chicago on the casing, it actually right, says Union Kosher. So the reason yeah. it was called Union Kosher was when my grandfather started the company, he had a partner originally, and he needed uh, someone. He, you know, he came to town. He didn't have money. He came. They found a lensman who had some money. He happened to be a furrier. It was a union shop. So this was his partner. Chicago 58 was the first unionized meat plant in Canada. Yeah. There were no unionized meat plants. It was unionized. There was no UFCW, union, uh, the Food and Commercial Workers. workers. Yeah. It didn't exist. We were unionized by the Furriers Workers Union. We were Interesting. The first, exactly. We but were the first you know, meat plant you know in Canada what? that was unionized. The, Teddy, how, how when did Max come in? I don't remember. She's asking a question about my yeah, yeah, I heard. There yeah, was yeah. another brother-in-law. You know, all the uncles, at some point in time, most of the uncles worked for Chicago. She's talking about the uncles. There was a great story. They were delivering up and down College Street on carts with wicker baskets. The briskets would be in wicker baskets wrapped up. My Zeta had sent one of the uncles to make a delivery to the guy who wasn't, who needed to pay, who wasn't paying. He said, don't give him the brisket until you get paid for the last delivery. 
He went in, the guy said, the money's in the back, take the briskets, this is five, six in the morning, you know, they were waiting for people to come for lunch, take the briskets, put them in the pot, it's already boiling, I'll go to the back to get the money. And this uncle knew that he would come back without the money, he'd be in trouble, stuck his hand in the boiling water, his hand was red for the rest of his life, <laughs> took the brisket out. When I was doing my research for my book on the 17,000 Jews who served in the Second World War from Canada, I wrote a chapter about everybody's family sent them vorscht in their care packages. And some of these parcels went to Burma, they went to the Philip, like they ended up three months later with mold on them, and then they cut off the mold. But like getting a vorscht from you guys in the army was a real big deal. I'm not sure if you're aware about this heritage. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It was such a big, you know, they were uplifted when they got this and it was just like, just a, an unbelievable, this is, oh my God, I got a salami. But it also helped them with anti-Semitism because they would share it with their non-Jewish bunk mates or shipmates or whatever, and that would kind of make friends for them. Tell me about how being in the meat business, um, what kind of anti-Semitism, I mean, you talked about um, getting shelf space, but was there any other ways that it influenced the business or impacted you? You know what? Everybody worked in Chicago 58. Didn't make a difference who you were, where you came from. Everyone worked Skin in Skin color, heritage, was, you made no difference. I, I started, like everybody else, you start making boxes. That's the first thing you learn, and until you learn how to make boxes, you can't do anything else. And I trained in the factory, I learned how to trim beef, learned how to cut down beef, learned how to run the chopper, you know, tie salamis. I still have blisters on my fingers. Everything was hand-tied. Did you ever get hurt? Uh, I, I have a gash mark in my thigh from, from boning out a piece of meat, yeah. And uh, I lost a watch on, on a chain belt once. Would you be able to say how many family members now are working at... Chicago 58. Everybody here is family. And I don't mean that. I, I mean that in the broad family with quotes, so, but yeah. Like I said, you, you met drivers and people working here, but um, there's four, four family members working here currently. What? And through the 20s, 30s, people needed a job. Everybody came. It was always a job. So there's four direct family members of all the people who founded it. And out of how many employees do we have? A ten. Ten. In terms of like where people would see your product. In the retail, you'd find it in all of them, you know, the smaller independents, Pusateri's, Highland Farms, Copa's, uh, stores of that nature. You'd find it in all the major chains, Sobeys, Metro, Loblaws, No Frills, etc. You'd find all our products. In Ontario? In Ontario. Where else are you? We're mostly based in Ontario. For many years, we did have a smaller distributor out in Western Canada. I am trying to redevelop that chain, and I just told we developed that link. We had restaurant chains. Great Canadian Bagel was one of the chains. And I just mentioned to you that we're just in the midst of striking a deal to 300 IGA stores in, in Quebec. One of the things that we cover, which I find sad, but also it's just how the business is, is a lot of kosher delis. So, for example... The Omnitsky people, they have a factory, of course, and we did a piece with Epi that he's trying to sell. And um, J&R in Montreal, they had to close down, right? Being in the kosher meat business is tough, especially now, because their kids, they don't want to take over. We have cousins who are, are orthodox, and when I speak to them and I hear what they're paying for meat, and I saw at Costco, 
it was. I saw a piece of pickled brisket, Teddy. It was almost $100. Yeah. Well, this is I, I shook I my head and I said, oh, my God. Deli isn't what it used to be. Even your own family members had a deli and it didn't do well since deli. Like, yeah, they closed. Yeah. like, what does this mean to you in terms of what food habits people are in the tradition of going to, like, Jewish deli style? Part of it is that, you know, in the... When, when we first started selling to some of these chains, there was no Tim Hortons. There was none of this stuff. The chains have sort of taken over. There are deli chains, but they really didn't grow. There's Druxies that we sell to it, a number of them, but you don't see a lot of them. Um, it's quite an unfortunate scene within that, that there are less full service, actual old school deli. People but, are still eating people, the products, but, but, but at yeah, home, is that what you're saying? Partially at home, but also now, you can go to like we sell to the Miller Tavern lunchtime. There's a, there's a dry cure smoked beef brisket on there on there. You wouldn't have found that many years ago. You wouldn't have found that in a lot of non-traditional places. A lot of the golf courses, you know, a lot of the other places are carrying that product, so you wouldn't have seen it. So yes, the traditional deli restaurants there's less and less, but there's also so much more variety of food out in the marketplace that people are like, well, you know, there used to be when my Zeta started. Every third store was a deli. Next to the deli was a, someone making shmatas and making clothing, and then there was a deli. They'd come down for lunch. There was delis, and there was United, and there was dairy restaurants, United, Dirty Bagel, Mr. Dirty Bagel. Now, let's talk a bit about the different kinds of, uh, I guess, uh, variations or adaptations that you have gluten-free, and you have all this, like, low sodium and things like, I don't know. The salami, the hot dogs, all of the deli meat we always made was always it was always gluten-free. There was nothing that, you know, my Zeta never added wheat crumbs or bread crumbs to anything. Everything was always gluten-free from 1920. No, but I'm saying, like, nowadays they can put gluten-free on water. Well, yeah, duh. We now sell not just gluten-free our deli meats, but the market's changed so much. We're carrying Nate's gluten-free bagels. I sell Odo's gluten-free products. It's amazing how many... And, you know, when we first started, you know, uh, a bagel shop that might sell, you know, 500 bagels a day, uh, you know, sandwiches we're talking, and all of a sudden I'm selling two, three, four cases of gluten-free bagels to them every week. Like there's a real, there's a real calling for it, whether it's dietary or, or celiac. It's a, it's a big, it's a big uh, opening market. Halal as well. You, know, you sell halal stuff? We sell, we, we don't manufacture, we sell, we sell a lot of halal chicken products, quite a few. It's amazing how big that market's going. I had a meeting last week at, uh, with, with Farm Boys, and they were telling me that something like in their stores that they have here now, something like 10 to 15 percent of their customers are looking for halal items. So how is business? Because um, you've had to expand into other products and... So we're now probably about 50 to 60 percent retail and 40 to 50 percent restaurant. And it's not just that, it's that people are ordering at home. I, uh, you know, so many people click, click, click. We started doing business with Grocery Gate and I said, who's going to order a salami online? You know, from I can't believe the sales that run through it on the online purchases are just huge. People are just shopping at home. So the market's there, it's just the whole face of our world is changing that I think that we're seeing that. Do I feel sad that I can't walk into a deli like I would have seen 50 years ago? A little bit, but also they can't work that way anymore. You know, the old school, you know, I can tell you a story of my uncle said, you need to run up the pantsers to make the delivery. I got yelled at, I walked in, I didn't open the right door, I didn't turn off the right door. Stanley Panzer comes downstairs yelling and swearing, all kinds of... Those days were wonderful and beautiful, and you know, someone would come to the counter, and I'd seen this many times, someone would come to the counter and said, Stan, you know, to Stanley Panzer, I didn't like the sandwich, get the fuck out of my restaurant. <laughs>
Was it? Your father was thrown out a couple of times. Trust me, I fell in love with those days of Chicago 15. That's how I ended up here. What's your degree and what did you train in? I have a chemistry and a psychology degree. I was headed elsewhere. I was headed for ophthalmology. And I had no job for that summer. And I said, I told my father I'm coming to work. He said, no, you're not. They didn't want you to be. So your two children, how are they in the business or not? not my, my son's an engineer. He works for Tesla in California. And my daughter works with kids on the spectrum. She's an all-time educator. I know when I mentioned that I was coming here to somebody that I was talking to yesterday, she said, oh, Chicago 58, I made Chicago 58 with, with scrambled eggs. People, do they always just tell you their messages, tell you their stories, like... I've got so many pictures that friends of mine send me of their, you know, of their grandchildren, their kids. Look, look at that, look, look, it's his favorite. You know, it's amazing how food is such a driver of people. You could walk, I could walk down the street and give someone $50 and they'd say, thank you very much. But some, you give someone two salamis and they're so thank, you know, I really, I was, I get such a much better feeling from it. And so it's so, you can't, it's so amazing how people respond to it. You know, one of the things that I really do still love to promote, we do still have a bunch of kosher lines. When it's Pesach, when it's holiday, I make sure, I, I'll sell to the kosher stovies and all this at a very, at, at a loss. I want people to have that. I, I'm, I'm happy to be involved in people's family. I, I like the fact that people come and tell me stories of everyone came over and the first was great. We had it on the barbecue. We did this, you know, bar mitzvah giveaways. I've had people give away salami. I mean, not a little one, uh, a full-size dead. What's the biggest salami. one you ever no, made? Did what you ever make like a make, world record? We used to make six-foot salamis for donations and charities. Now, we used to do Pioneer Women. We did all of those events. We still do. You know, COVID sort of slowed them down, but they all came back. You know, the why, the, the bowling guys come. Everybody comes. I'm so happy to just, what do you need for your event today? You need a half a dozen salami. Okay, last thing. So you're very slim and trim, and I used to. I looked at the videos of the previous generation who seemed to have eaten a lot of I'm their products. The, no, I'm not the traditional deli guy, short and stout. And my zeta was was came from that short stock. Do you eat the stuff still or no? I probably have a, at least a couple slices of salami every day. Um, my favorite is the dry cure recipe that was a recipe that was my zeta's that I rebrought. It's a dry cure, old fashioned smoked meat. Every once in a while, I'm cutting a piece when I'm in manufacturing, I'm in the ovens, I, I, I am a regular. So you never turn vegan or vegetarian? You would think after being so exposed to it, you would be like, my grandfather would never eat anything that wasn't shoe leather cooked because he was a butcher and so he couldn't he just could not eat it you know so no uh, i'm very much a, a deli lover and you know very much old school and i learned how to chop salamis from, from my uncle sid thank you for sharing what events are you doing or uh, like to market or you're doing some uh, we should put some plugs so people can find you you know what uh, a big party was it was sort of in my plans last year i was thinking about it after my father passed, I didn't want to, I, I, I passed on that, and I wanted to do what they always did. I wanted my regular customers who walk in here, my, you know, the ones who come here, you know, I want to help, I want to serve them all. And that's what Jewish Canada sounded like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. You can watch a short documentary about Chicago 58 and its founders and see the old 58 Lippincott Street site. And I put a link for that in our show notes. I also have a prize to give away for all of those people who have listened to this point. It's a Chicago 58 Anniversary Edition t-shirt. 
size small. The first person to write to me with the correct answer to this question will win it. Here's the question. Chicago 58 used to be called Union Kosher. Why was the word union in the name? Again, Chicago 58 used to be called Union Kosher. Why was the word union in the original name? You can find the answer in our interview. So send me an email to ebesner at thecjn.ca. That's E-B-E-S-S-N-E-R at thecjn.ca. As always, thanks for listening to the CJN Daily. Thank you.